0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you again for tuning into the podcast or for the first time, if this is the first time you're finding me. I appreciate it a ton. This episode is brought to you by Action, Specialty Roast Coffee, Natural Supplements. Head to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, you'll save 15% off of your order, and if you sign up for a subscription of any specialty coffee or natural supplements, you'll save an additional 20% each and every month you order. Drinkaction.com, action spelled with a K, use code word curious. Thank you again also for following the YouTube channel. We just kind of got that out, promoted. Um, Go to the Curious Jones YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel, click the alerts button. It'll let you know whenever there's an upcoming video. Uh, I try to put all the top clips there and it's building up quite the catalog, a lot of good stuff to go back and rewatch. but I appreciate it trying to grow that community if and when we can, so do that. And as always, subscribe to whatever listening platform it is that you listen to the podcast on, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon. Um, It's the best way to support it is to subscribe and to follow and to share any of the episodes with friends, the video clips um, that are on social media, you can follow on social. It's at Real Curious Jones, And uh, yeah, I appreciate it a whole lot. My guest today is in the business of building heroes out of children. And he does that through a network of schools, quote unquote. He doesn't like the term schools because he's creating an alternative education process for young children and I think even up into the teenagers. But these schools have implemented principles that are so outside of the traditional conveyor belt school systems. And he's doing it very successfully. I think he has schools in over 40 states and multiple countries. And he's partnered with another previous guest of this podcast, somebody who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, Tim Kennedy, who is one of the, I guess, uh, satellite schools of Apogee. And he opened one in the Austin area in Cedar Park. So Uh, Really cool to have a conversation with this gentleman. He's got a background in public and private education. And as a parent, I had a lot of questions. I wanted to understand, you know, do we just kind of accept the system as it is? You know, um, I tried to play devil's advocate as best I could and ask some fair questions, but it was really interesting to talk with him and get a lot of his perspective on this. So hope you enjoy it. And if you're a parent, share this, listen to it. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Give it up for my guest. Matt Bodrow it's always it's always good to uh talk with real people though that's the that's a sign of a real you're like ah it's, I'm in the middle of everything you're doing real stuff I mean I I mm-hmm. think we'll probably get to it but I was really attracted to you and your page because you seem like you're a man of action and Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of people of inaction that are talking about action online and don't really have any experience delivering on it. So that was my first thing. And, um, yeah, man, your page just pops up constantly for me and had other people similar to you on in the past, like Tim Kennedy. And I know that you guys share a similar message. I don't know if there's a connection there. We can certainly explore that, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so big,
1: I, I appreciate that very much, man. Because you're right, it's uh, there are a lot of a lot of good talkers, and then there are people who are taking action. And um, you know, I- I'm like you. I'm I'm all for anybody that's spreading a good message. I appreciate that greatly. Um, but my respect and my attention only goes to the men whose actions directly lock step line up with the the message that they're speaking. So uh, I appreciate that greatly.
0: Yeah. So why don't we start there? I mean, you just told me before we kicked the, the uh, recording off that you're in the process of transitioning from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I'm sure yeah. that there's a part of that that's really tied to just the state of the country and where we're at, which also then probably funnels into your whole message, the program with Apogee and everything that you're about. Yeah, I know, man.
1: So, you know, wife and I are both born and raised California. So obviously family there, roots there, ties there. Um, and, you know, truth be told, California is a hot mess, always has been. And, and neither of us even growing up there were ever, you know, ultra in love with it. Um, I had had the opportunity to give, you know, gosh, probably 700 plus keynotes over the last decade and travel all over the world. So I've gotten to see, you know, all the states. So I knew we kind of had a bucket list of like, hey, eventually one day it's going to be one of these states you know we kind of had our we kind of had our list but truth be told we had carved out a good a good niche for us you know there in in california i have multiple businesses that i run Um, i found schools so i start you know i have three schools in particular that i started in in california Um, when i say i say school because that's what everybody knows you know when young people get together and do stuff during the day they know the word school our centers were vastly different we're talking vastly different educational model. And, and people go, okay, well, cool. Yeah, it's a different model. I go, yeah, by the way, I had horses in California because my daughters bought the horses when they were nine and seven based on the businesses they were running, which is part of the way we ran our schools. So when I say different, I mean different. Um, and so, you know, I've gotten to I open those, but I've gotten to help entrepreneurs around the world uh, open these, which is what I still, you know, I still get to do that. So we had carved out this great niche, you know, and pandemic hit and we stayed open because I understand how to play the game of school. So we stayed open, our kids were thriving. I actually expanded, you know, added another campus. Um, I mean, life was life was good and it has been good, building great communities. A friend of mine sent me this property out here, you know, in the east. And we just went, dude, okay, it's time to roll. The schools are running, they don't need me, they're running fine. I'm working on, you know, helping entrepreneurs globally. I can do that from anywhere. We've got apogee you know, that Tim Kennedy and I are the ones that started it. So yeah, Tim and I are very close. He's, you know, he's a, he's a dear friend of mine. So he and I put this whole program together. Um, and so we can do that from anywhere. So, you know, had the opportunity to jump on this. It was a turnkey farm, man. And I uh, already had another business attached to it, providing food uh, to local restaurants. And my wife's this farmer at heart. So yeah, it is a different deal. We jumped right in, man, two feet and uh, would not change it for the world.
0: That's so cool. And I'm a father myself, which is another reason why I've been so interested in what you do and what Tim does. Um, I mentioned to you, I had Tim on early, I think September of 21. So we were in the thick of the pandemic. um, Okay. You know, it was September, maybe September of 20, actually, right in the heat of it. And um, it was prior to Apogee Cedar Park. But I saw that he, it was maybe a couple of weeks actually after I had him on the podcast, and I saw that he released that. And as a father Mm -hmm. of two young boys, man, it's very, very attractive. And Mm -hmm. I haven't had to directly deal with it, but, you know, I have younger siblings, I have relatives and you start to see the indoctrination and, you know, Tim and I talked a lot in that podcast, more so around universities and the indoctrination. But as I looked into it, I'm like, there's really not a lot of options at least quality options. But when I saw what Tim was doing, and I'm obviously now know that that's in line with what you're doing. I was like telling my wife, I'm like, babe, look at, look at this. Yeah. I think back onto my school. I mean, only thing I really remember and care about from my childhood at school was my friends and some of that stuff. But like what I learned in science or English or math, I don't use today at all. But I sure as hell wish that I would have learned like functional skills, like how to read a map or how to, you know, start a business or how to, you know, anything that people can do. And it's so overlooked, even trade schools and I have younger brothers that like got stuck going to four-year colleges and now, you know, have these giant debt that they have to pay back and have a degree that a hundred thousand other people have and are fighting for low paying jobs. So seeing that you're, you know, developing skill and, you know, I'm, paraphrasing probably would have so much more nuanced, but it, it was very impressive. And it made me eager and interested to have a conversation and learn, you know, what are the options out there? And Jesus, man, are you going to get something here in the Pittsburgh area? So <coughs> cool. And we got something there. My friend Ronnie runs one of my schools out there in the
1: Pittsburgh area, and there's always room for more. So awesome. yeah, I'm glad to tell you about that network. And it's, it's rad, man. And So Tim and, Tim and I were sitting outside a um, coffee shop in, uh, in Austin area. Uh, and he had just gotten done kicking my ass in a, in a workout and um, we went over and got some coffee and we were talking about kind of the final touches of Apogee and what we were doing for the mentorship program right and he's get all this stuff lined up and Ginger was there to his wife uh, was there and, and um, we got done kind of putting the cherry on top we're like all right man we're ready to launch this uh, this Apogee program thing and he's like hey, you know, hey by the way I want to open one of the physical campuses too I want to open. I want to open one of the schools that, that you have. And I'm going, cool, man. Like if you're serious about it, let's let's make it happen. Because there's like eighteen thousand applications in the pipeline to open these. We've got only, we only have about three hundred globally right now. Um, I think we're in forty-one states, twenty-six countries. Um, but we're very very selective on who opens one of these. Right, it's not just a come one come all. It's not a franchise. This is a network, and we want good people who are doing this for good reasons, who are going to lead by example. We want to have the right folks, right? Yep. Um, so I'm like, if you're serious, man, we'll make this happen, though. And he's like, no, I'm I'm dead serious, man. I'm putting. I'm like, cool. And I picked up the phone right there and made a call to the committee and I'm like, all right, man, here we go. Like we're pushing Tim to the front of the line. Like let's get rocking and rolling because he's the kind of guy that needs to needs to do this. And he's got obviously a great platform for sharing, man. So um, yeah, and he's, he's done great, man. They've done a great job in that first year. I actually sent one of my employees from California out there to be the first head of program out at his campus and um, just continuing to work. I was just out visiting them uh, last month and and we're putting together game plans and stuff for moving forward, but it's a great... It's a great network and what people don't understand the degree that a lot of what you're talking about is happening we're talking about the um, you know the indoctrination and we talked a lot about the university level and i did a movie with dennis prager and, and adam carolla uh, a couple of years ago called no safe spaces i think it's on amazon right now so it's worth checking out if anybody wants to check it out uh, it's free right now on amazon prime and we we stay focused on the university level the thing is the k through 12 level is just as much about the indoctrination you said, look, there's that skill set that's overlooked. It's not overlooked. It's intentional. It's very, very intentional. People say, you know, the school system, K-12, your public schools are broken. They're not broken. They're doing exactly what they are intended to do. Exactly. And people have no idea what that is because people focus on some of the things they should rightfully focus on. There's the indoctrination, right? And this has been a long tail game. So all this, you know, I told people Fifteen years ago, man, because I was in this, I was in the game. So I've I've been in this game for two decades, and so I told people, you know, fifteen years ago, hey, by the way, coming up soon, uh, parents are going to be labeled as terrorists if you fight back at a um, at a at a school board meeting. We're going to have a very uh, trans agenda. We're going to have the very um, you know uh, uh, kind of a communist agenda. We're going to have a very divisive relationships around race. We're going to have very all of this has been a long tail game. And so I've been trying to tell people for a long time, we got to do something different um, for our kids because it's not going to stop, you know, and and so all of that is definitely worth fighting against, but it's the sneaky things in K through 12 too that, uh, you know, even go into like a private, some parents are like, yeah, I pulled out and we're going to a private school. Well, if the system looks the same, you know, it's still that same K through 12 that you and I grew up going to. Well, there's the sneaky habits of of obedience and the sneaky habits of outsourcing your thoughts and all of these things that really what it does is foundationally eliminates your sovereignty so that when you get done with that, you don't know who you are. You don't have self-awareness. You don't have self-confidence. So it's not that you don't have skill sets that transfer over. You don't have a mindset that transfers over. You have a mindset that's ready to be obedient for the rest of your life. And it's a big
0: part of the reason we're in the trouble that we're in as a country. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that the way that schools are set up today is directly in line with the industrial age and, and automate like all the manufacturing. I mean, look at how you sit in a classroom in rows and sit there and take orders, right? It's, I mean, I don't know enough before that, but were, was the education system different or more aligned with what you're doing at Apogee prior to the industrialization? Yeah, prior to the
1: Industrial Revolution, when this really came over from Prussia as this Prussian model, there was no systematic schooling of the population. It wasn't a thing prior to that. And in fact, when it started to become compulsory and it first became compulsory in Massachusetts, it was met with people with guns. Like, they're like, no, are you kidding me? My kids stay home. We educate from home. And then they're going to go to work with me and they're going to be an apprentice and they're going to like they're involved in their community. They're involved here on the farm. They're involved in this. And then we educate from home. Right. This. And so, yes, it was it's how humans have learned forever. So this whole compulsory schooling thing that was brought in was actually met with a lot of uh, with a lot of force. A lot of people did not want to do it. But again, it's been a slow burn where now you and I grew up and this is just how it is, right? We've This has now been an experiment in our country for 120-ish years. But the thing is, there's not a lot of people that are old enough to remember anything before it. There's nobody. So what happens? We've got a cultural religion around what school is and what it should look like. And people, as much as they'll question that religion, they won't leave it because they're too scared to leave their religion.
0: Here's a great story for you, Pat. I, I was in technology for years and years, and still do consulting and things in the software space. And I was at a trade show, gosh, maybe five or six years ago, and it was kind of when virtual reality was starting to kind of populate the first iterations of it. And I don't know mm. if it was a uh, which brand it was, but there was a table. Um, they put it on me, and they're like, "Here, check this out. It's a learning technology, artificial reality," and mm. it was me sitting in a table. In a classroom in Spanish mm-hmm. class and I took it off and I asked a, to me it was just like a question that I had I'm like why would you put the kids back in a classroom with virtual reality like this would give you the ability to have them walking around inside of a market in Spain and interacting that way like why do we go back and he just kind of stared at me he didn't it was the most bizarre interaction that I have I think about this all oh, yeah. the time and right. at the time, I don't think I had a full grasp. To your point, I I was indoctrinated. I didn't understand, or maybe I did a little, but I. It's just like oh, this you is did what enough meant. to ask a good question because what you asked was about
1: a real learning experience. Yeah, right. You asked about what learning really looks like. So people we confuse learning with school. I always differentiate between school and education. Education happens all the time. If you're growing, if you're doing anything, you're being educated. You and I are having,
0: you know, we will be educated by each other on this call. I'm educated by um, my failures. It, and I, I think about school, school yeah, is it, like, you're afraid to fail. I was petrified to fail. It, I didn't, it says don't fail. Don't fail. It says don't. So when I'm talking about the sneaky
1: mindset things, that's what I'm talking about. You get trained that failure is a bad thing to be avoided at all costs. When real life demands failure in order for you to be good at something, right? You learned to walk. And when you learned to walk, you pulled yourself up on that couch and you started to shuffle and you turned to your parents and they're like, come on. And you took that first step and you wobbled and you fell on your ass. So what happened? You failed, you didn't walk, you failed what did your parents do? Yeah. And they cheered you on and you went, Oh shit. Okay. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. So you pulled yourself back up. You took another wobbly step and you fell on your ass again. And you did that a hundred times and they cheered you on every time because they knew at the other end of those continuous failures was going to be a big milestone. That's how learning actually works. You're a jujitsu guy. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you started jujitsu. Were you any good when you walked in on the match? You go in there and tap everybody out. Did you? No, you went in there and got your
0: ass kicked. I failed on a couple nights ago, like multiple times. All the time. And that's part of
1: learning, right? You do that to get better. Whereas school says, oh, if you want to be good at jujitsu, here, come sit down in the classroom, let us tell you about jujitsu and then tell you you're good at it. No, you got to go actually do it. That's how humans have always learned. School is not
0: learning. School is a system and it's a system of obedience. Was it implemented, this Prussian system? Was it, yeah. and I'm trying to play devil's advocate, right? Sure. Everything is in context, right? So it's like, we're in this point in time, we're going through war, we're mm-hmm. going through this industrial revolution. Yeah. Was it wishful thinking and was it done? Was it, I'm, I'm struggling for the word, but I guess my point is, yeah. did were they they're all kind and of like, hey, this is going to solve this problem now. We need, to, we need to get a bunch of people to get into this workforce and this is the best way to solve this problem now? Or was it yeah. more nefarious? Was it because I know yeah. a lot of people would say, no, 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 this was this was Russia or this was other countries that deliberately pushed this on not to solve the problem, but because they knew they were playing the long game. I mean, dude, there's a scary, I know, you know, the video of a, a KGB spy that's talking about the indoctrination and that we're implementing students now that will become the professors later that will then teach your children and then they're going to teach their children's children i mean that was a video in the 80s so at least it was known then but oh for sure is that you look at i mean not
1: sure is it i mean if you look at i mean i think when did uh this guy wrote uh, the naked communist when was that written in like the 50s or 60s and it lays out this same thing get control of teachers unions and get like so it, it has been a longer tail game and their plan specifically with education has gone seamlessly. I mean, it is exactly where we are now. The unions are controlled um, by a very you know communistic regime. Um, so we're definitely in that place. You can argue both sides. And what I always do is when we start talking about the historical component of this, um, you can argue both sides of the coin. You can argue that, look, it was serving this purpose because we were going to the industrial revolution, it did for a small amount of time, give people the opportunity to gain jobs that other people weren't able to gain. Um, and, and I won't argue with that, but you can also argue the other side, knowing the men that brought it over, knowing the Rockefellers, you know, initially taking this over and really pouring into, you can, you can argue that both are true. Um, honestly, you know, there was, it served a purpose, but it also served a purpose for this longer tail game. I always recommend people go read uh, anything by John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O, Um, John was a phenomenal educator, phenomenal human, passed away a few years back, Um, but one of the greatest educators this country's ever seen. Most teachers have never heard of him because if you read any of his stuff when you were training to be a teacher, you'd leave the profession. Um, So teachers don't know who he is, but I ask people to read him. He's much better of a historian as far as this goes than than I'll ever be or ever care to be, Um, but you can argue both sides of that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's scary because I see a lot of the same similarities with today and COVID, right. Or sure. whatever hot topic, but COVID, especially, you know, to spare the rabbit hole, like I'm sure there are certain things that schools are doing that if you look at the black and white numbers, okay. Yeah. It's probably like obviously keeping people from transmitting anything, whether it's COVID or the flu or, or whatever, but knowledge, are you taking advantage of a short-term win to move forward a long-term plan. And it's like, Hey, everybody's fine with this. The same way it was like, Hey, this new way of schooling is going to help us solve this problem. And everybody gets on board and then you get the momentum of the population. And by the time enough people recognize that it was not what they said, it's too late because the the shift has already happened.
1: Yep. That's exactly right, man. And that shift is not, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people that that don't understand now that this this whole thing that has happened now with our government schools it, it really has been this long tail game that is now this mammoth it is so tied into politics it is so tied into money that people say oh i'm gonna re- i want to reform the education it'll never be reformed it'll never change it's not going away the best we can hope for is to build different models better models which i my network as well as you know other networks are are very much doing that the best thing we can do is help people pull their kids and and homeschool I mean we can do all of these other things but that beast that behemoth um, isn't going anywhere and so that's you know COVID was a prime example I I kept telling parents like hey don't go to these don't go to this you know good for you for wanting to exercise your right uh, to speak I would never tell anybody not to do that But going to the school board meetings, you only have a finite amount of energy that you can use every single day and you're using it to fight a monster that does not care and will not change. Um, So it's falling on deaf. These guys, the people you're complaining to don't actually even have any control over anything. They're not going to change anything. They can't change anything. They'll lose their jobs if they try to change anything. So you got to focus your energy somewhere else and it's not uh, because you're not going to beat this system.
0: My wife brought something up when I told her that I was having you on the podcast and I was going to save it for the tail end, but just figured before I forget, I don't know enough about the type of benefits or um, like, if you're a teacher, can you get your loans forgiven? Like my wife said that there's a lot of different ways for people who are public servants to get their loans forgiven, which on the surface seems like a really good thing. Like, oh, awesome. We have people that are putting in public service. And then we're going to give them an education. But as I think about this in the bigger picture, my wife's like, that kind of almost is a sneaky thing there too, because we're giving all of the, we're we're encouraging these people to leverage these, whether it's a bill or something to, you know, go, but go to our university and learn more exactly with what we, we want to teach you how to teach the kids. And so we're going to pay for it. It'll be free, but you're going to do it the way we want. And it's, I didn't think about that, but it, I was like, man, oh man, you're so right. Like, I'm right. sure again, it's both ways. Like there's a real truth. there's some people that are probably like, wow, I want to help Matt because he's, he did a great job. He got through all four years. He's a committed teacher. Let's pay back his loan for him. But it, so
1: she, you guys are, you guys are correct. So if you, the, each, the system is self-perpetuating, right? The system is designed to keep itself afloat. Right. It's not. Um, it's like, you know, we got, man, again, this is a different rabbit hole and it's a different thing or whatever, but like, you know, the thought that pharmaceuticals are going to completely continue to produce more drugs because why do they want to get you sick so that you no longer have to use them anymore or get you free of this sickness. So you no longer have to use their drugs. Of course not. They want to keep themselves in business, right? They're not trying to put themselves out of business. Schooling is the same thing. They want to keep themselves in business. So you do have programs that are, they're tied there's always conditions around that, right? So there's the loan forgiveness programs for the teachers, for the public service. It's usually tied to a length of time. So you got to stay in the profession, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years, whatever it is in terms of this payback. And it's usually tied to putting you to like title one schools or schools that need to receive special funding because you're in a lower socioeconomic area and it's a harder spot to be, right? So it's usually got some sort of conditions tied to it, um, but it does. It provides the ability for some of these teachers to get their their loans forgiven and and put them in there, especially now in a profession where I can tell you in California, um, new teachers, 50% of new teachers within three years, they leave the profession never to come back why is
0: that sure it's not the the bad ones either it's it's the people
1: no the ones that are believe in what the indoctrination they're all about it right what it is is you got good people who are going in and i always give this caveat in any any interviews i do any podcasts any news programs whatever it is i am super super supportive of good human beings that are teachers and administrators in that system i am never knocking them my beef's always with the system well, what happens is you got these altruistic people who come in and they truly do want to do some good things for the young heroes. They want to do right by the kids. And then they start to realize what the system is really about. They start to realize the handcuffs that are placed on them early and they're really tight and they're really restrictive. And they start to see what all the agendas are. And they're like, look, I'm not serving kids. Um, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a prison guard in a, in a, in a prison. Right. And that's not what I signed up to be is that. And so I'm out. Um, and so those programs are tied to, you know, Hey, longevity, you stay in, stay in and fight through all of this kind of stuff. And then we'll pay back your stuff. But it's exactly what that is, is to perpetuate that system. If you, you know, I understand there are some kids who have a horrible home life and school because I've worked in these schools in the public arena school ends up being the most positive influence they've got during the day, right? Because they have adults there who really do care. Um, And maybe when they go home, that's not the case. So I get that. And that's a good thing. The rest of it is not a good thing, right? Any, any lie to be believable has to be somewhat intertwined with the truth. Hmm. And, and that's what school is, right? There's the truth of, yeah, some kids have shitty parents and have a really bad home life. And when they get there, there are adults there who genuinely care about them. You bet they're also not allowed to do the things that the kid probably needs most. I know I got in trouble because I was trying to help young men in schools that I was working in and I was told, hey, you need to get that kid's algebra scores up. And I'm like, he doesn't need algebra. He's being told to sell drugs from his porch when he gets home and he's, you know, his parents are in gangs. He doesn't need algebra he needs a completely different set of skills to give himself an out, right? And it's not fucking algebra. So it's, you know, there's, there's all that stuff intertwined. It's such a nuanced conversation, man. And it makes it so flipping hard. And the hardest part of what, you know, I do with my schools or Tim or any of the other entrepreneurs that I help, you know, in our network, the hardest part of any kind of privatized educational experience is the fact that it costs, Right. And so we also want to make it more accessible to, you know, young people who can use it just wouldn't have the the means to get there.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is how does this scale? Because as I hear this, it's those are the barriers, right? Like it takes, at least today, it would take a parent like myself to number one, agree with what you're saying, and then agree enough to take the steps to pull their kid out of school, find a reputable Place to send them that's in line with their principles, And, yes. you know, to your point, there's a cost associated with that. So how does that scale when we can't even get a public school system in an inner city to work yeah. or be funded in a way? I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, parents in inner city Chicago, unfortunately have the time wherewithal to, to deliver the type of... Right. Right. It's so hard, man. So it's a multifaceted
1: approach, you know, so it's the first, you've got the cultural narrative, which we're fighting against, which is part of what, you know, I get the honor of doing every day is talking to cool people like you and going on different shows and, um, and working with potential, you know, even our call today is sandwiched between, um, somebody in LA earlier today, somebody in Louisiana later. And then I go to somebody in like Nebraska or something, they're looking at doing, This like building these kinds of schools in their community right so creating more of these campuses campuses a big part of that is shifting the cultural narrative around what education looks like. There's never been a better time for it people are questioning it more than they ever have, but more importantly, going back to what we said at the very beginning, there's more and more parents willing right now to take action than ever before of pulling them out right the shift just last year alone of parents pulling out of public schools was a greater percentage of humans than has ever happened since we since you know we started making these schools compulsory so we've got people willing to take action so that's great so we've got to shift that cultural narrative but then we have to address the cost factor so those schools in inner city chicago i guarantee you their cost per student like how much money they are being funded and how much money they spend per student is astronomically greater than the money we spend per student on our campuses. Astronomically, they're just getting fed by the, by the government, but they're spending a whole lot more to get a whole lot less of a return. So a big part of the way we build our schools is we are really working on getting our campus costs down to $1,500 to $2,000 per learner. That's the cost. Now, it doesn't mean that's what we have to charge in tuition, but if that's the cost, we can get our stuff down that low and we've got families that can't afford to spend the $10,000 tuition, right? To take uh, care of some cool. overhead. It gives you a little bit of that buffer too, where we can start to scholarship, right? And so we can start to scholarship young heroes. And as the more we get this word out there, we do have some very generous you know, donors in the community. Now they're starting to see what we're doing and they're like, hmm, okay. What could you guys do with X amount of money? You know, we just started, we just opened up the Apogee Strong Foundation. And the foundation is a 501c3 explicitly for this. This will go to help young men either enroll in a mentorship program like Apogee Strong or enroll in uh, these kind of campuses when they wouldn't normally be
0: able to afford it, right? So it's all of those things in a long tail game. So maybe walk me through what could a parent or a child from whatever perspective expect in an Apogee school? Because I think we all know to a a degree what the typical experience is like, right? Yeah. So everybody
1: knows the typical experience. We all went to the conveyor belt schools, right? So, you know, most public, most private schools are, are the same thing. So when I've got parents that are looking at our schools as far as the physical campuses. And again, the mentorship program Tim and I have right now is specifically men, good men pouring into young men. Our schools are K through 12s, young men, young women, right? We're serving everybody. So I, want, I always want to make it clear because um, with the similar names, it, it, people get confused understandably. Um, what I tell parents from the get-go is that the ideal day at one of our campuses is that none of the adults show up none of the kids notice it doesn't matter nothing changes and they still run the day like a fortune 500 company and that either scares the shit out of people or it makes them really really excited right it, it only goes one of two ways and some people go oh okay that's cool that's that's cute and i go no 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 that's real i've had i professors from you know i got professor from stanford university and from UC Davis, and we had professors from UT, and we had professors from Nebraska, and we had professors from NYU. We've had all these guys come visit our campus. And I go, okay, watch this. I'll go pull the adults out of a studio that just has five, six, uh, and seven-year-olds in there. And that's that's the age group that's in that room. I'll pull the adult out and we'll go, okay, just I want you guys to just watch, just watch what happens. Inevitably, you get a six-year-old looks up and goes, hey guys, all right, time for morning meeting. And everybody goes in and they circle up, they look each other in the, in the eyes, they shake hands, they say good morning, they're using each other's name, and then one of them goes, okay, I'm the Socratic leader today, today's, uh, today's launch is going to be around uh, this topic, and we're going to watch this video, and we're going to have the conversation, rules of engagement are in effect, and rules of engagement being like, what is a good conversation, what are the rules around that, Um, rules of engagement are in effect who's going to monitor conciseness that's you who's going to monitor who's going to be the fact checker that's you okay great and they'll have a conversation and then they'll go okay time to get into core skills let's buddy up and and start setting our goals This, this is in a five six and seven year old studio with no adult in the room so when i talk about this not being school that's what i'm talking about right school looks at every kid. If you're looking at, at, at this as like a garden, school looks at the kids and goes, you're the, these are the flowers. We got all these different flowers, but they need to do, they need to grow the same way at the exact same time. And we're going to come in and tell them exactly what to do. And we're going to yell at the flower. And we're going to tell the flower what it needs to do, when it needs to do it. Whereas we go, okay, cool. We've got all these different flowers. We want every single one of them to grow because that's what they do naturally. We don't need to freaking make them grow. They're going to grow our job is to go okay what does the environment need to look like are these guys getting enough sun these guys can't get too much sun we're gonna make sure you get this amount of water you get this amount of water the soil's got to look okay over here it's got to look like this over here our job as the adults is to protect the environment so that the flowers can grow naturally so we have systems in place so that young people can have daily Socratic conversations. So they learn how to think, not what to think. That's a vastly different thing. They learn how to genuinely communicate their ideas and genuinely listen to other people's ideas and be okay if they don't agree. It's called civil discourse. We used to be able to do that. Most adults can't do that now. They learn how to do that. They learn how to set their own goals from an academic standpoint. And they understand that there's options on how to tackle those. They learn how to collaborate on real-world projects because every six weeks, they've got a project exhibition that they put on. And even though they do some of the academic stuff kind of self-directed, and they may do it in the project, they may do it in an online program, they may do it out of a textbook, they get to choose how they do that. And they've got somebody holding them accountable to their goals. But then they're also collaborating with a whole bunch of other students to tackle a project like... Um, Hey, in the next six weeks, you guys are going to build out a city. You got to have part of the city built out of cardboard, part of the city built out of Legos. Part of the city is going to be 3D printed. Part of the city is going to be built out of wood, hammer, and nails. You're going to put that whole city together, and then you're going to figure out how to run electricity to all of it. And we're going to have the parents show up, and you're going to flip a switch, and we're going to try to see if we can get all the lights to come on. Right? Whether that works or it doesn't, the experience, the learning, the education comes from the effort whether you get it or you fail and you're going to fail a lot that's okay right because it's also going to get you fired up and you're going to learn a whole lot in the process and then the next six weeks might be taking on a whole different project around nasa and you're going to build rockets and you're going to have a competition of shooting rockets off and testing different fuels and then the next one might be marine biology and then you may put on a play and then you may right that's what it looks like on our campuses so it's Self-confidence, because you've actually done hard things. You've learned to be resilient. It's self-awareness, because you've actually tried a whole bunch of things. So you know what you like and what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at, right? Those are the people. What is the curriculum? Self-confidence and self-awareness because of all of that. And when you have those kind of systems in play, the adults can make sure they're there for safety and they make sure that the environment's going right but the adult tries to step out as much as possible. And you got olders pouring into youngers and um, you, you essentially build
0: this educational community, man. Yeah, I it's love it. It's a vastly that. different deal. I remember seeing something that Tim posted. Yeah, it may have been like a story or something, but regardless, yeah. it was about the classrooms, how there was the age gap between the students in a, in a single classroom and the interaction between. It's like we, we segment them off so much and it's like, okay, yeah. the first graders with the first graders. I mean, even when I was in school, we had the red team and the black team through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. There were half of the school population of my age group was in a yeah. whole different wing. We didn't have the same teachers. We didn't have the same recess. We didn't eat the same lunchtime. And then like high school came and I'm like, oh, geez, you lived down the road from me. I didn't even know it because yeah. we were kept from each other. And yeah, it just seems so it's silly. Yeah. It is silly. You just operate with your
1: same data manufacturer, right? And then you're put in this box too of, of, you know, this very narrow scope of academia. And we start using words like ahead and behind to, mm-hmm. to talk about where you are academically. And all of that stuff is ridiculous. So can I ask you how old you are? How old are you? 35. You're 35. I'm 42. Should we not be talking? Should I automatically be looking down on you? Cause you're seven years younger, right? So don't you have to revere me and I got to look down on you, right? Isn't that the way that's supposed to work? Cause that's how it works in school because right? you segregate that way and then how do we compare ahead and behind do i go back to when i'm 35 and go okay well how much money do you make how much money did i make at 35 what did you know what do you know now at 35 how much did i know there uh who was ahead who was behind none of those things are real none of those things are real but we train our young people thus training our parents as well to think that that's real The most similar social structure, we have all these false social hierarchies. And by the way, bullying happens because kids are segregated and then they don't have a voice all day long and they're trained to be obedient. So they want to have some sort of power, some sort of ability to have a voice. So as you're out at your recess or your break or whatever it is, you find your click And you figure out who you can look down upon and exhibit power against, right? Because you're in this false social hierarchy that doesn't transfer into the real world. You know where that social structure transfers? The whole just be obedient, a bell's going to ring, tell you where to go, when to go, make sure you got clicks and exhibit power over another click. That maps out in prison. Bingo. That's the only place, right? It doesn't transfer over into real life. So, the thought that when people, parents are like, well, what about, you know, if they don't go to public school, what about socialization? I'm like, that's what you're socializing for is that. That doesn't transfer. That's garbage, you know? And so, it's again, it's one of those sneaky things. It's not just the indoctrination piece, it's the entire structure doesn't transfer over to real life. Our schools
0: are vastly the opposite everything transfers. You said it in a different way, but I'm always brought to think about this. I think it was a meme. My brother sent me. It was a picture of a giraffe, all these animals. And it was like, if you judge a giraffe on its ability to fly, it'll fail every time. Bingo. Right. But it's, yeah. And you, you nailed it, man. As an adult, like it all becomes so much clearer because those, all those guardrails, those guide rails, they disappear. They're not relevant. And I mean, I think some of us are fortunate enough that even through the indoctrination we keep ourselves tied to reality enough that you kind of get back in the real world. Then you're almost frustrated that I just went through years and years of bullshit. Like that's kind of yep. how I was. I didn't grow up in a household where my parents were like, you know, they were like happy to send me to send me to school. Like you're a daycare. Like yeah. it's just the, the way yeah, yeah. You know, they're a product of the environment. But, yep. you know, now I look back on that and it's like, I don't fault them, but man, I wish that there were different options available and there were friends or I should say, Kids my age that I'm now friends with that were homeschooled. And at the time, like my friends and I thought they were weird. It was like, wow, they're homeschooled. Like, what's up with them? What other now? I mean, I like I said, I have a two year old, he'll be three here in a couple of months. And I'm fortunate. I think I live in a fairly good school district, all things considered. But that's just measuring it against the status quo. It's not when I take it back, I should it's not how I should be measuring it. And I've worked in I've worked in
1: gang infested areas of California and I've worked in, you know, ridiculously wealthy areas of California. I can tell you this right now. The schools aren't any different. Is that the your background?
0: Public. public school? I guess I should yeah, have I was, that early
1: on. No, that's all right. Man, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean I Yes. Uh, yeah. Coming out of college, I had no idea. I was actually going into the Secret Service. I ended up turning that down. Um, and that's a whole nother story in and of itself, but had no job. So I worked, you know, odd jobs after graduating college, trying to figure out who I was, where I was going to go. I ended up at Stanford University, uh, working there for a long time and started to see the game of schooling there naively went okay well why don't I start working from the ground up so went into public schools after that was a public school teacher and a public school administrator uh, and then private school teacher private school administrator realizing it's the same thing same pig different shade of lipstick uh, which is why I left all of it to to open the schools that I do Um, so you know um, the the schools themselves weren't any different what you're ranking when it's a quote unquote good school district you're just ranking the socioeconomic status of the community that's it it's all your ranking
0: that's interesting you say that that's all your ranking you, you nailed it is there the possibility for this to flip the other side yeah, that's a good question.
1: So, the tipping point wouldn't happen for a long time. You've got 90, it's like 92% of your population going through conveyor belt schools. So, I mean, we're far from a tipping point on that, even with that mass exodus um, of people going into homeschools and things too. You got to remember, even your, um, you know, even the majority of your private schools are fricking public schools. They're the same thing. You might not have the specific. And so, that goes to kind of this next point of the indoctrination, right? You've got, um, you know, kind of the indoctrination of of kind of this whole communist, you know, whatever sexualization and and all these kind of agendas coming into your government schools. But you also have the indoctrination of the obedience mindset, right, which is a lot of what we've been talking about right now. So then if you go over to let's go to your, you know, your stereotypical Catholic school, Christian school, whatever private school well, you've got the indoctrination of that specific religion. I'm not knocking the the religion itself. I'm just, I'm getting to a point. You're always being indoctrinated. Everybody is, it's just a matter of who's doing the indoctrinating, right? So you've got your private schools that are saying, look, this is a parent. And I've, By the way worked at these schools right so there's one right answer for certain questions because we all agree on this specific religion so if i ask this question it's one right answer and we just all go yes we don't critically think through it and challenge it we just go yeah there it is and then you still have the indoctrination of the outsourcing of your thoughts the indoctrination around um, academia being the answer to all problems you know which is provably false you still have that indoctrination so what I the reason I associate with the schools that that I do, and the reason we build the schools we do, is because our indoctrination is is around sovereignty. We're not asking anybody to think like us. Tim and I don't have any desire for anybody to think like us. Any of the other Ronnie who's out there near you doesn't have any desire for the people he serves to think like him. We just want people to have the ability to think and we want them to map out their own journey like right? that's the whole point is of the hero's journey is a self-awareness and an understanding of who you are and what your unique gift is to the world and it doesn't have to match anything we necessarily I don't be, I don't believe the same thing a lot of my students believe but here's the key they don't know what i believe that's not my job my job is never to let my kids Any of my campuses don't have any idea where I stand politically, religiously, economically. They don't know because I don't talk about it. My job is always to push back on every single one of them on what they believe to make sure they're secure in what that is and that they're open-minded enough to listen to somebody else and take better evidence if better evidence is presented. That's it. They don't get to know what I believe because that's not my job, right? So I'd rather have that indoctrination around sovereignty and free will um, because you're always there's indoctrination everywhere.
0: I love that. Yeah, I, again, I don't have the direct experience, but as, as at least what I see, it seems like there's more time spent on all of those things than actually teaching Much more. anything. Well, Much I mean, more. it's not like to your point. Like, I don't want to be all negative. I know I learned things in school, but it's like it was not optimized, obviously. But now, even today, it's way worse. Like, I think about how bad it was. When, I'm 35. It was, 15, 20 years ago, it was bad and it's night and day, you know?
1: And think about, and just think about the functionality of what we, you know, quote unquote learn. And do we even learn some of this stuff? Right. So I always tell parents, I got straight, I got straight A's. I got straight A's all through school. I never got anything less than an A and it's not because I'm super brilliant because I'm not, but I figured out the game. I figured it out early. I figured out how to get good grades. There's a game around how to get good grades in academics, right? And that's, I figured that out early. So I put very little work in to get my grades. So I got straight A's, but I went back to prove a point. I run multiple businesses right now that are, you know, seven and eight figures, right? I went back and took a, a standardized math test about two years ago. And it came back as a quote unquote sixth grade math level because I don't use that specific type of math. So did I learn it? Or did I just do what I needed to do to regurgitate, to get the grade, to move on, right? So it's like, what kind of things are you actually learning and retaining? Because I tell you, I learned the habits of, well, shit, if I don't have to work hard and I can get something done, great. But guess what? As soon as I graduated college, that didn't transfer over anymore. So I had to figure that part out at 22, now in debt, looking for a job, right? What if I had learned that early on and had that mindset shift? What if I had learned that rather than freaking trigonometry that I have never used since, right? So it's, again, the learning thing too. It's it's interesting to go, what do we actually learn there? Yeah.
0: I grew up in a really small town, very conservative, yeah. northwestern Pennsylvania. Were you in, Pen- in Pennsylvania? Okay. Yeah, yeah. town called Bradford, PA. Small little okay. town on the uh, New York PA border. Um, okay. I actually got to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Steve Kloss, and Patty Alexis. So Mr. Kloss was my history teacher. Miss Alexis mm-hmm. was my English teacher. Yep. She was in seventh grade.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: The first or second, maybe it was the beginning of the second marking period. I got asked to participate in this project. It was a Civil War project. So we had a um, a cemetery in our town that was had a lot of Civil War veterans that yep. were buried there, and. I don't know, I actually would love to go back now and have a conversation with both of them to understand like what was going on. But there was like 20 of us that they picked for whatever reason to lead this project. And like thinking back on it, now you're really like kind of making me reminisce a little more. I didn't go to any of my regular classes, the whole like second, third, or almost all of fourth marking period of seventh grade. We would go to the teacher's lounge after roll call in the morning and announcements. We would research all of these people. We had to create a biography on each one of the soldiers, we had to go up to the cemetery, and we had to help restore all the grave sites with toothbrush and different types of And all culminated in a reenactment on our football field at the middle school at the end of the year. And so I had like, I had to make my own, like whole thing I have a hat, a Civil War hat, fenders pants. I forgot about all of this. But as now I'm like having this conversation with you, we joked about that as kids, yeah. kind of like, wow, man, we got out of basically seventh grade, like twenty of us, and we'll tell yeah. other kids that didn't weren't a part of it, and they're like, we remember the reenactment, but like you, wow, that's cool that you guys got to do that. But yeah, when I learned there, I can kind yeah. of now think back that I've used those skills way more than I used 100%. the twelve years of other things that I learned in school because you know sewing or research, researching especially. I mean, research was such a big thing. It's such an open-ended process to to learn how to effectively research, but to know that there was this end game that we were all working towards. I mean that was beautiful, and I I don't think I've ever mentioned it, but like, hey, shout out Mr. Kloss and Miss Alexis for, for, sure. for, at least like doing that and embracing it, and the school district for even allowing it to happen. I mean, they pulled 100%. us to like the Landmark Society weekly to do research. Like it was it was a really cool experience. Now that I think about that, See,
1: that's awesome, man, and I love to hear that, and definitely shout out to them. Um, you know, there's there are more and more restrictions. What one thing that it was at least good when you and I were going through. Um, you know, uh, kind of this conveyor belt school model is is the teachers at that point did have more intellectual freedom, you know, and I've gotten push, gosh, man, I've gotten a lot of pushback um, from some of my older teachers. So like teachers that I had, you know, 25 years ago when I was in high school, that sounds so old. But when I was 20, so 25 years ago in high school, um, and teachers at that time that were like on the verge of retiring, and they were old, right? So now they're in their They're in their 70s and 80s and they're like, you know, reaching out to me on social media or whatever. And they're just like, I can't believe the way you speak out against schools. It's nothing like that. I'm like, well, actually, it wasn't this bad when you were there. You had more intellectual freedom. I get it. And you did a great job with it. I'm so grateful for the experiences I had there. I'm talking about now the handcuffs that are put on even more now. I I won't argue that that was the right system then because it wasn't. But when they do things like you just described that is valuable that's a real education right the sitting down in the classrooms i'm going to barf something at you you're going to regurgitate it that's not learning right that's not education that's schooling that's a system those kind of experiences that's exactly it and your ability to to learn and those kind of things your ability to unlearn which is now Um, just as relevant, you know, in a a world that continuously changes, those are the things that are relevant. And you've got those skills through that kind of thing. That's what our entire day is built on or things like that. Um, That's, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Big shout out to them.
0: Yeah. Now, thanks for reminding me of that. This conversation kind of re-sparked that. Super cool. There was one last thing I wanted to talk to you about. And again, I mean, to your point, we could dive down all these things for hours and hours, but you know, especially in light of recent events, you know, maybe get into a little bit of the security aspect, you know, keeping kids safe, because I don't know if you've seen, and I don't necessarily want to go down this conversation all the way, but you know, the video that was just recently released, I mean, yeah. at a bare minimum, there's 20 or 30 people that shouldn't be allowed to carry a badge in my opinion, but um, it's a complex and very sad state that we're in when I drop my kids off at daycare and think like, man, I couldn't imagine getting a phone call today, you know, and yep. that, that even has to be a conversation. Yep. I mean, and I know I've seen a lot of what Tim talks about, but maybe you could share just the priority and kind of how that is handled from your perspective, because I think it's so important. It is important, man. And it's a, it's a nuanced conversation.
1: Um, I'm going to, if you're okay, I'm going to tell these guys, I'm going to be, I got to, um, Tell yeah. this this next group that I'm gonna be just a, a couple minutes later because I this is an important conversation, man. I want to make sure we uh, I want to make sure we get this.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you no, know, man. No, thank you. Um, so it's a it's a multifaceted problem. It's a multifaceted solution, right? So um, I won't pretend like I've got the answers to all that. I surely don't. But I, I think there are a few glaring things that I've seen um, that need to be addressed. So one, our schools are, do we have problems, you know, problems, quote unquote, as far as like young people um, disagreeing with others and sometimes they get too emotional, especially at a young age, of course, because people are people and that stuff happens. But we also give them tangible ways to work through that and to talk through that. Those kind of outlets, that voice like we talked about earlier, right? You you find ways to exhibit your voice to gain some sort of power, some sort of control, some sort of respect that's a natural human uh, desire. And it plays out in really bad ways a lot of times in schools because they don't have any other time to exhibit it there. Um, You get our schools where the students have a voice, things like bullying don't really exist. So that in of itself starts to change the social structure because there's actually power that the young people have Right. They can actually talk through things. They can make like they're capable of civil discourse, but then they also are, are they know that their voice matters, they can actually make changes. So when you have that, like the bullying part starts to go away. That helps. You also have the greater conversation around fathers, and we have a fatherlessness problem uh in our country. Uh, with you know, you got 25% of the homes, don't have a a, a father there, or you've got a father who's quote unquote present, but he's Home and he's doing this on his phone while he's there instead of being actually present, right? So we've got a, a fatherless uh, ap- epidemic, especially for our young men. They don't have good role models to look at. Um, we've made adulthood look unattractive to these young men. And what I mean by that is most adults live in fear. Uh, they parent based on fear. They, they're fearful of other people's opinions. They're fearful of whatever's going on in the media. They live out of fear. So they're always talking from a fear-based mindset. They're talking about, I can't do this, or I can't believe him, or I'm pointing the finger at this person over here, pointing the finger at this person over there. I'm pissed about this. I'm pissed about that. Well, as a young person, if that's what you're seeing the adults in your life do, adulthood looks awful, right? So it doesn't look fun. It doesn't, you're not seeing somebody who's happy taking on all these responsibilities and enjoying their life. So they start to get miserable. And then what happens is we give our young men... Uh, especially we give them distractions instead of responsibilities. So young men really need, not only do they need these role models and need mentors and they need good fathers showing them what a good man looks like, but they also have this innate desire to go out and slay the dragon, right? We want to go rescue the princess. We want to go we want adventure, right? Those things are, are in there. And so if we're not fostering those and really fostering that aggression in a really good way, it can go sideways right? If they don't have good physical outlets to let that go, if they don't have chores and responsibilities they're taking on and experiences that they're taking on that, that help check off the need for adventure, they're going to find it in other ways. So how do they find it? Well, A lot of times they find it in things like video games, um, which that's why I don't like video games. It's because they're sneaky in the way that, you know, school can be sneaky. You don't think about the fact people go, oh, they're wasting their time on that, or, oh, they know they're making friends, what they're doing is they're checking off their need to have accomplishments and adventure. And they're checking it off in a virtual realm that's not actually doing anything. So then the real life kind of pales in comparison. So I got to do something greater um, than that to make it even cool, or I just do nothing at all because I'd rather just play the video games. Both of those things are dangerous, right? So you put those in a dangerous space. One of the most under-talked about ways that we distract our young men that I think plays in directly to this conversation about what just happened in, you know, in Texas and continues to happen is well we put him in school because school's the religion and school teachers are talking, okay, you got a five-year-old boy, six-year-old boy that doesn't wanna just sit down and behave um, because he's a five-year-old boy who wants to get out and just freaking run around. And so we go, oh, well, he's got something going on. He's got a disability. Um, we need to medicate him and we need to do that now. And we get our five and six year old young men on low grade methamphetamine, and now they're on prescription drugs for the rest of their life. And that's one of the things we don't talk about. With all of these mass school shooters, they're all on prescription medications. They're all on some sort of ADD, ADHD, SSRI. And you know, people come to me and go, "Well, you're not a doctor, and what are the statistics?" I don't give a shit. Um, I, I, I don't because what? I've been in this. I don't. I don't care. I've been in this game long enough. I've seen these prescription meds handed out like candy to our young men and it's never served them well. Um, and I think that's a giant part of the issue too.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm so glad that you hit all of those, right? I mean, you could ask a hundred people that question and they'd say, we need to get guns off the street. I knew that wasn't going to be your answer, but it is, right. I'm all for making sure that a psychopath, like the one in Texas doesn't get his hands on a gun. I of think course. that can be, that can be done without restricting everybody else's freedoms. But I'm more curious as to your point. Like, what are the things that are creating these monsters to begin with? And, and how do we what solve made them, them a psychopath in the first place? Yeah. I mean, that's that's right? that's a real I mean, with any problem, you got to go to root cause and like okay, great. Then once we understand that, then let's start triaging all the other things and figuring yeah. out how do we make a, a safe environment. But it, I'll leave it with this, man. Like, I'm the oldest of four boys. My parents went through a divorce um, when I was actually in high school and it, was, it wasn't a pretty one. Uh, I have a younger brother that's uh, 10 or 11 years younger than me and uh, thriving now, doing so much better. And actually the family, it's funny, my mom and dad get along better now than they did when they're married and even going through a divorce, go figure. Yeah. But I know when I grew up, I had more discipline. I had my dad there all the time. I had all, all the things that you just talked about you know? And then I think about 11 years later when my brother was going through grade school, middle school, right. Developing social media, mom and dad yep. separated yep. Lack of confidence. He didn't have, you know, you mentioned video games. Like I was in baseball, football, basketball, soccer, two sports, sometimes in one season, parents going crazy, traveling here, traveling there, riding with your friends, parents. Cause mom and dad couldn't go to the game, figuring yep. it out. Like, my brother and I were talking the other day. I had to like call my friends and be like, yo, can your mom and dad give me a ride to the game tonight? And if I totally. didn't, if I didn't call. My parents weren't calling them for me. I wasn't going to That's the right. game. But my right. youngest brother struggled very hard. And they pumped him full of Ritalin and all, all kinds of stuff. And now he's, he's, got, he's kind of on this wavelength that you and I are speaking with. He's very yeah. much like, you know, separate himself back. He's very much a mindful person, what he puts in his body, yeah. what he puts into his brain. And it's been a transition, but to your point, he had to work really hard to get there. And it's like, how many kids don't? And I see sure, that stark sure. difference. We're from the same genetics, the same blood. Right. The experience right. that we lived, albeit very similar, was different in a couple of very key ways. And it created two very different people at the, at the culmination of high school, you know, like that. Sure. So I'm very, oh, very yeah. grateful that you brought that all up and everything that you're doing. I'd love to have more of these conversations with you in the future as I continue to explore parenthood. And as you get settled in, in North Carolina, I, again, man, I appreciate it. I know it's a busy schedule, but what you're doing, I think if people can step outside of their own personal beliefs, regardless of what your political to your point, your students don't even know what your beliefs are. And I right. think we have to take the politics out of this and realize yep. that no matter what you believe, this is going to benefit your kids Way more in the grand scheme of things than sending them into the factory. That's
1: exactly it, man. That's exactly it. It's just again unlocking sovereignty. Uh, and if you're committed to whatever you believe in, and believe that that is the truth, then unlock their ability to go search for themselves and find truth. And they're going to find that anyways, right? So that's exactly what it is, man. Is the commitment to that. So I appreciate a platform to to have these conversations. And I'm here, man. Whether it's you know podcast or just reach out, man. I'm here. Yeah. Whatever I can do help. Um, especially as, you know, from one dad to another more than anything, man, I appreciate it.
0: Certainly not. Thank you much, man. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you, brother as well.